It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! <laughs> oh man, sometimes I watch these back and I watch the woohoo and I go, I gotta stop doing that. Anyway, I would like to welcome somebody that I am tickled pink is here. Her name sitting there right in front of you is Gina Isham. I used to know her as Gina Murphy, right? Back in the day, yep. she was the Back taxi the member and I met her several times at the road rally and she was friends like with Matt Hurt and all the, like the early successful members and Gina and her husband. I don't even know your husband's name. What is it? Jared. Jared. Okay. They started mm -hmm. a company called Dreamer Productions several years ago that creates custom music, does sonic branding and sound identities for brands, products, campaigns and events. Sonic branding projects can be as simple as a single Sonic logo or mnemonic to the strategy and design of an entire music style guide. Um, they have a vast variety of musicians, composers, and strategists that bring a plethora of different skills and expertise to the table for their clients. So once again, I welcome Gina Aisham. <laughs> Hi, Gina. Hello, hello. All those uh, thousands of people in a in a coliseum. There you go. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, it's two two applause tracks combined. One is a small group and one is a large group. <laughs> Together they sound better. Perfect. Anyway, I'm really layering thrilled. Yep, layering is good. Um, I'm just, you know, I get your emails and I actually read them, and I've been enamored with your career path and that's to the topic of today's show is could sonic branding be your new career path meeting the people watching and hello to everybody in the chat room by the way good to see you and uh i just thought you know we've talked about pretty much everything that composers and artists and songwriters would want to know but we've never touched on sonic branding or any of the other stuff that kind of surrounds it so can you start out by just defining sonic branding? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so I I just wanted to, to preface, I started, when I joined Taxi, I was very much more into production music, um, film score, which I still do, um, but generally the production music, and I was trying to get into that, and I was getting really frustrated um, because I would get into these libraries, which was great, but then it was just write stuff like Duck Dynasty, like write stuff like mm -hmm. Toddlers and Tiara, write Skrillex. And, and I'm just like, well, I understood what Skrillex meant, but I was like, what does that mean? What is Duck Dynasty, you know? So I'm just throwing stuff out there that sounds kind of like what's on the show then and just throwing it into a pool of, you know, production music, which works for a lot of people. Um, but it's very hard for me because I do much better with a specific assignment when somebody's telling me exactly what they're looking for and then I can deliver. And my, my delivery is, is very strong and um, the response from clients is very strong, uh, but it's, it's a lot harder for me when I don't have that person-to-person -person connection. And so my husband and I got married in uh, 2013 and we actually combined our businesses. So Dreamer Production existed before that. That was where I started with music. And then he has a company called Stagehand Productions, which was mostly film and directing and editorial. He did all of the visual stuff and I did all the audio. So then we combined our company. And um, so Dreamer is kind of like a sister company to Stagehand. And I was like, okay, well, I gotta figure out how to market us now. 
<laughs> because I, I was doing the music thing, but I didn't know the visual thing. And we're trying to work with companies and try and like present the stagehand productions as, you know, market it to companies. And I was like, how do you do that? So I just started uh, learning about marketing and I fell in love and I turned into a total marketing nerd. I was like, wow, this stuff is so fascinating. I wish I had known about this in college. It would have been like my minor or something. Was no, so, man, so if we weren't cool. both married to our respective spouse, spouses, we could be <laughs> marketing buddies. I'm telling you, look, cause it was like the psychology and the anthropology of it. It's just fascinating how, why people buy things and why people don't buy them. And so I just kind of got wrapped up in that. And then the question popped into my head and I was like, well, how do people use sound in marketing? And I was shocked to not find very much information <laughs> on this subject. Um, generally sound and marketing meant you picked a track, you know, stuck it in your commercial, you know, after you've finished all of your creative work, you just kind of like slap something on at the end. It's an icing on the cake kind of thing. Um, and that was really all, all I was finding. And then I started to hear this word sonic branding here and there. And I looked up things like the Intel Pentium processor chip logo, you know, the dun, 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 dun. And uh, the NBC chimes, you know, NBC. That's the one um, everybody knows. Everybody <clears throat> knows that. And a little known fact, it was actually, it used to be four notes when it was in, during the World War II time period. And the fourth note was to say that there was war news coming through. I thought that was kind of cool. Interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was, it was a, um, like a secret kind of thing so that like the Germans didn't know, uh, but Americans would know, oh, there's war news coming in. So they could watch and, and tune in and find out what was going on. Um, but anyways, so I started to hear about this sonic branding thing. And I started researching, trying to find people that were writing about it and explaining it. And nobody was, I had a Google alert set um, for, for the term sonic branding. So basically what a Google alert, if you don't know what it is, is it, it combs the internet. And when it finds something that says sonic branding, it sends you an email and it shoots you all the different um, articles that say sonic branding. Well, I was getting maybe one notification a week. That's how little there was being written about sonic branding. Um, it was like almost a fluke, it seemed, you know, like, oh, Intel, that's cool. Oh, McDonald's kind of knows what they're doing with music. Coca-Cola is pretty cool. Like that was, that was it. And what I ended up finding out was the people who were doing it were too busy to write anything about it. So I started a podcast called Sound and Marketing Podcast and I was selfish. I wanted an education. So I started interviewing people. So I found the people who were doing these things and I started asking them questions and putting it out there. And from that, I'd start writing articles to actually try and publicize it in the World Wide Webs and get the word out to say that there was this really cool thing that very few people knew about. Um, and so from that, I just started learning about sonic branding, which turned into learning about sensory marketing, which we should talk a little bit about that as well. Sure, which is I'm making whole, a note. But yeah, I learned about sensory marketing, voice first technology, conversational and synthetic voice, uh, conversational AI, all the things that are happening with smart technology. It's just fascinating. All of these different touch points and elements where sound can go. And before that, all that I knew was write something like Duck Dynasty, toddlers and tiaras, like fit something that will fit something that's already in existence you know, try and match something that's already out there. Right. And what sonic branding is, is it's actually 
uh, doing kind of like an audit of the company, hearing what they've sound like in the past, what they sound like now, or what they haven't sounded like, right. and creating something that becomes the persona of a non-human entity and making it human. And it was just super cool to me to find the power of sound, which I knew that there was a power of sound, but I had no idea how powerful it was because there's just so many different elements to what sonic branding can do in like two seconds. A sound, not just a tonal sound, but a sound can like perk you up, make you go back 20, 30 years and remember a moment. It's incredibly powerful. And so what I do is I write sound design and sonic branding, which is a very short, seemingly simplistic thing, but it's incredibly effective. And so that's the long version of it. But basically sonic branding is creating a unique brand persona from a sound or a musical tone. It's basically what it comes down to, but it's something that did not exist beforehand. How about something like the slappy bass part that all the Seinfeld scenes open up with that's also part of the theme? Is that technically sonic branding, even though it's a derivative of the show's theme song? Absolutely. I would totally, and I, I interviewed uh, Jonathan Wolf about that on one of the episodes. And that cool was, guy. That was, I interviewed him for the Taxi killer. Newsletter like 20 years ago. Nicest oh, guy. Man. He's so, so nice. I wish I had met him in person, but that that interview was right when COVID went down. So, um, but yes, I absolutely believe that that's it because you start hearing that slap bass or you hear that, you know, mouth pop. Right. And you know exactly what it is. Yep. You can be like in the other room getting a coffee or whatever. And you're like, oh, Seinfeld's on. Do I want to watch it or don't I? Like that's basically what happens. So Sonic branding can be more than just like three tones, like the NBC oh, yeah. logo or Intel. It could be an actual composition yeah, but it, it's so identifiable and it always brings you back to whatever it's attached to is yeah as i think that a sonic sonic branding is like the whole package the whole sound strategy idea so from that you can build and juxtapose and do all of these things a sonic logo would be something like the intel pentium processor chip um, and another word for Sonic logo would be jingle, but we'll talk about that as well. Jingle is limiting. Sonic logo is specific to the brand. Um, but that would be the term that a lot of people would know is, is it's kind of like the jingle. So Sonic branding would be like all the different elements that you would use in all the different audio touch points that that brand would have. So there's a lot to Sonic branding. Insurance companies seem to be pretty hip. Uh, they definitely, uh, rely on colors as part of their branding. They really push their colors. Um, mm -hmm. and, and absolutely, they use sonic branding. So either yeah. they have a really good marketing team or one of them stumbled onto it and everybody else followed or something like that. Yeah, well, and I, I did, um, if you've ever heard the, the podcast 20,000 Hertz, it's my mm -hmm. all-time favorite podcast. I actually got to produce an episode in March and it was about insurance jingles and why the insurance jingle seems to still be happening, but the traditional jingle in other commercial productions isn't really happening anymore. Like it's more either picking music from licensing music, or it is more of the sonic branding element, but insurance jingles, they still get away with the jingle. It's still highly effective and they've been doing it for 60 or 70 years. It's really, wow. it's, it, I mean, I know I'm a nerd, but it's still pretty fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it is. Um, somebody in the chat is asking, does Taxi ever get requests for Sonic branding? And the answer is no. And I think Gina has kind of opened our eyes to the fact that probably a lot of people out there at companies don't, you know, it's not like they go to a marketing meeting and go, we need a Sonic logo. We need a Sonic brand. They don't know what they're missing. I'm guessing until somebody like Gina, who's actually in the business, in the, the trade, if you will, that approaches them and says, you know, you guys would be really well served if. Is, am I correct about that? Yes, you're absolutely right. The hardest part of my job is educating because, and, and this is something I have not mastered yet, is how do you approach a company with something you know they need, but they don't even know about it or that they need it? That is like the million dollar question right there. Trying to approach a company and say, I have this really super effective thing that I can guarantee you is going to um, strengthen your engagement, your brand awareness, and your long-term ROI. All the buzzwords that they always want to solve, mm -hmm. but they're not looking for it yet. And I think that one of the problems with that is um, they think only MasterCard or um, McDonald's or Nike, like those big, huge Goliath of companies can handle that because they think that Sonic branding is like this six, seven dollars, seven dollars, six or seven figure project. And it's not. And that's kind of where I'm focusing now is trying to explain that you may not have that kind of budget for Sonic branding, but there are teeny tiny little things that you could even DIY to start on your own and then when you're ready, pick an element of it that you think is the strongest element musically or tonally in your company and focus on that. And then when you've built something with the intention that it is branded, from there, if you have hired the right person, they will be able to branch out and create it for all the different audio touch points that you have. And you can build into that branding as you go along and as people realize that this is definitely what's happening and will be the future. <laughs> so let's go to the small clients for a moment because you're right. I, I think a lot of people would assume that it's a McDonald's size corporation that's going to spend a million dollars on a Sonic uh, you know, ID. A and mm -hmm. maybe it's the local Chevy dealership in you know Peoria, Illinois. Um, Peoria. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I grew up near I there. I know that so. place. <laughs> wow. Um, you know. I looked at Bradley University, actually. Really? Yes. Well, I did. Do you remember, speaking of Sonic branding, you'll love it, it, love it. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. I was the engineer on You'll Love It at Levitz when I still lived in Florida back in the oh, 70s. You're kidding. I actually recorded that. Uh, oh, my and, goodness. That's yeah. Awesome. And the one, what's the flooring company now? Uh, they oh, actually. The Empire? Yeah, they got sued and had to add a word today. You know, Empire really? today. Haven't you ever noticed the voiceover guy always adds the word today because there was already, I think, a mom and pop empire that sued them and, and they lost the case. So the, their way of dealing oh, wow. with it was simply just adding the word today after at Empire, whatever, you know, it is musically. Yeah. Uh, Two, three hundred Empire. Yeah. yeah. See, you you can sing in public. Oh I should never do that. And I never learned that lesson. Um, so what's the difference between sonic branding and a sonic logo? 
Um, one of the examples that you used uh, in the notes that you sent me was Taylor Swift music on all your commercials is not sonic branding. Why not? Well, that would be sound in marketing. Okay. So that's still strategic. It's still strategic and it is somewhat brand facing, but again, it goes back to the existence, uh, music that's already in existence. So when you align yourself mm. with an artist and a song, just separately, they both have their own identities. So Taylor Swift has her own identity in, you know, her Taylor Swift land, right? She stands for something. She has her her fan base. She has her brand. And then each of her songs stand on their own and represent one thing or another that she has built. So they are branded as well. So if you align yourself with her song, uh, you're definitely, you know, putting yourself out there. You're getting yourself buzzy and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. But um, I wouldn't you know, take one of her songs and, well, you can't afford it <laughs> and make it into a Sonic logo um, because she owns that and her fan base already have this predefined notion of what that song stands for. Right. So like um, I was writing something and I was giving the example of, you know, if you align yourself with Taylor Swift and say, say she is a, a vegetarian, she does not support the the eating of meat and all that. And you're a butcher shop and you use one of her songs. She could get, I have no idea if she is a vegetarian. I have no idea. This is just a total, you know, whatever. But you're a butcher shop. She's a vegetarian. You use her music in right. there. She, you're going to cheese her off for one. And then you're also going to confuse your audience with what's going on because you've just aligned yourself in a very strange way because there's lyrics attached to it too you know that there's all kinds of things that can be misconstrued so custom music custom sound is the way to go when you are completely brand facing you want something that no one has associated with anything else before and the and first sounds like you yeah and it sounds like you it has to stand for you and what your company is about and that's it so if anyone else were to use that later uh, they would be thinking of your brand first. Like, here's another, uh, it's not licensed to Coca-Cola, but when you hear the pop fizz mm -hmm. of, a, of a soda can opening, you think of Coca-Cola first because, maybe Pepsi, but Coca-Cola did it first and they, they took this sound that works for any kind of caffeinated drink, honestly, anything that like pop fizzes, but they, they own it. And so, like, if you were to use that, but there you go, exactly. <laughs> if you were to use that in your branding for a new soda, you might get some recognition for it. But the first thought is Coca-Cola because they did it first and they kept doing it and they put it into the consumer's mind that that sound is Coca-Cola. Do you know who Casey Neistat is? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, so I followed him for years, literally. Yeah, he's fascinating. Yeah, almost from the beginning of his career, and he became mm -hmm. one of the top influencers on YouTube. He's a right. very good shooter and editor, and he oh, okay. developed an editing style that where he compresses stuff like crazy audio, you know, okay. whether it's a, a soda can opening, a door shutting, ripping the tape off a package that just came from Amazon, taking papers and 
stacking them like that. All those sounds are at least as loud as his voice. And he uses them sometimes in almost a rhythmic way where he kind of developed that. Somebody else may have developed it. He made it famous. And now I've noticed that major TV commercials, as recently as last night, saw a TV commercial, and I, it made me think of Casey Neistat because they were copying yeah. his, his brand of using everyday audio as part of the rhythm in editing of his show. So right. you're absolutely right. We associate. And, you know, it probably all goes back to being in your mommy's tummy and your mommy's lying in bed at night reading a magazine, you know, or reading the the first 12 months or whatever that book is called rubbing her tummy and going I can't wait to meet you junior I can't wait to meet you and junior's hearing the dulcimer tones of his mommy's voice that may have a long-term positive effect on that kid's mental well-being um, maybe if the mom has a really aggravating you know like I'm um, I'm gonna offend somebody so I won't mention a state or a city but somebody with a very affected thick accent that's kind of great you know what think of chandler's girlfriend on friends i can't remember her oh, name janice janice yeah <laughs> think now could you imagine poor janice Ooh. is rubbing her belly going i love you <laughs> to her kid her kid's like no don't make me come out um, but that i've got to believe that they say children can hear in the womb so i've got to believe yeah. that that is like the, the genesis of sonic branding may go all the way back to the womb. It absolutely could. I mean, if, and I, I wrote a lot about this in the, um, uh, this first course that I wrote, um, talking about like where the origin of, of sound came. And it's, it's incredible because it's, it's right there in utero. You're absolutely right. Like we, we hear before we're even born, we're processing things. We're processing it different because you're, we're just embryos and all of that stuff. But <laughs> it is definitely an association because when babies come out, they know who mom is. Sometimes they know who dad is, you know, they, because they're so close to her, they know her heartbeat um, and the rhythm of her voice and like the intonation. So it, it's, we're, we're using sound to understand from the very beginning. Because all you can understand when you're not seeing anything is the sounds and the rhythms and all of these things. Like the, the top of a beer coming off, opening a bottle of beer. Oh, dad's home. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> no, anyway. it, it, it's funny. It's true. It's like the weirdest things that you could associate. And I bet you a lot of it is like subliminal that you don't even know. Like you might hear something triggers you and you just like, you know, shudder or something like that. Or you hear something and you smile. Yeah. And you don't know why, maybe, maybe you know exactly why. Like, I don't know, I think of um, one of the songs that is really, really strong in my head is Smashing Pumpkins 1979, mm -hmm. because I go back to high school and I remember I was in my friend Alan Gilborowski's car and he was driving too fast and we were all going somewhere on a Saturday, probably nowhere, but we were going somewhere and he turned it up and we had the windows down and it was blasting and it was just such a cool memory. And I don't know why I remember that so hard, but I do. And every time I hear that song, it makes me smile because it's just childhood. I just remember things. Do you know, after my senior prom, my girlfriend and I went to somebody's parents' house and there was a party down in the basement, which of course was a big makeout party. The lights <laughs> were down low, the mirror ball was spinning, the incense was going. And Crosby, Sills, Nash & Young had just released mm -hmm. Deja Vu. 
And I listened to that and I turned to my girlfriend and said, could you imagine what it feels like to work in a studio with an artist like that? I was 17 years old. By the time I was wow. 20, I was working with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. So you never, you never know what yeah. might manifest itself in your life. Nothing is beyond your reach. Absolutely. Anyway, little side, side thing there. Um, so is sonic branding only something that composers do? Could a songwriter be involved in sonic branding or would they have to be a little bit of a composer and an artist? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is there ever anything that sounds like an artist, but that artist represents the brand, not a pre-existing Taylor Swift artist with their own brand, that a, a bigger brand, you know, McDonald's may want to ride her coattails to hit that market demographic. But mm -hmm. if a company, let's say Burger King, <laughs> um, reaches yeah. out and they reach out to you, and so then it's your voice, your style, your type of song, but they really like it and feel that it relates well to their demographic, mm -hmm. um, is it? Do artists ever get a shot at sonic branding or is it pretty much the domain of strictly composers? Um, well, I have a couple of thoughts on that because I was just thinking of, uh, and I think it was Burger King, the <laughs> I'd stop the world, I'd melt for you. Right. Do you remember that Right, song? yes. <laughs> I think that was, it was either Burger King or McDonald's, but I think it was Burger King. Um, and I always associate that song now with burgers. Even Rather though was, than the band. Yeah, yeah, who, who was it? Was it Depeche Mode? Yeah, I, can't I feel like it was. De yeah, somebody yeah. like that, Depeche Mode, or uh, somewhere around that that time period. Yeah, definitely eighties. Like definitely eighties. Um, but you know, they had their own thing. Or Friends, you know, uh, the Rembrandts. But that I don't know if that really helped them out because they are only known. For, I don't know any of their other work other than that. They don't have to do any other work. Could they you imagine what they made else. in performance royalties? With that thing being distributed, you know, all over the world every day for 30 years. I hope years. they had a good contract. Yeah. I, I really hope that they didn't get screwed on that one because dang, I'm sure they're not making it now. I'm sure once it went into syndication, they like. But why not? They would still get the performance royalties through ASCAP or BMI. They would get, yeah, get that. But I bet you they changed because um, uh, I do know, uh, who was it? Um, was it House? Uh, the um, Massive Attack? I feel like they used Massive Attack for their um, mm. theme song for a while and then something got switched. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's been a couple, <laughs> I don't want to misspeak, mis misspeak, but I believe that there were some that had a song attached as a theme. And then when it went to box DVD box sets, right. it was a different theme because it got too expensive. So I don't know if that happened for Friends too, that they renegotiated and they're like, um, here's the deal or maybe I, I know the box set still has Rembrandt's on there because I have all of them but <laughs> we we actually went through a period of taxi for probably two or three years where we got asked to find songs to replace the music even instrumental cues uh -huh. in tv shows where the contracts the original contracts for the music didn't cover um uh what do you call it not distribution um Repeat. Syndication. Syndication. Thank you. And so when they reached out to the people who originally created the music, of course, they wanted a lot more money. 
and right. and Paramount or Warner Brothers or whomever it might have been at the time said, nope, you're, you're not yeah. going to hold us up. Sorry, we're just going to mm -hmm. replace the music. So that was uh, a great thing for Taxi's members because we had sure. a couple of years of requests uh, to do that. Um, yeah. Oh, but but I was yeah. going to say, so, so I don't know about it for that end, but I will say for McDonald's when they did the I'm Loving It uh, one, the story, and this is again, 20,000 Hertz, check out the episode called I'm Loving It. And it talks about this, the story of how that came about. It's really good. It's a really good episode. Um, friend of mine produced it, but that's, <laughs> but um, anyways, it was talking about it. And it said that um, he, he recorded, he got paid like $6 million or something like that to do this song. And it's a full song with, um, oh, I can't remember his producer's name but they, they produced an entire track. And the whole uh, series of events was that he would release the track as like a single or like, you know, teasing that there's another album coming out, but McDonald's was not attached at first. So it just came out and then it went into rotation for like a week or something like that. And then McDonald's started to roll out their commercials with the shorter version and putting the association together. His kind of went away and hmm. so, people were already like, oh, Justin, you know, like really excited and banking off of him. But he was a hired hand for this this song he did not own. It was actually the Sonic logo that they were gonna pull wow. off with McDonald's. So um, I think he's pretty cheesed off about it because he got a flat fee and he hasn't seen anything since. Um, but <laughs> that's just, you know, how it is. Uh, but what they ended up doing, which is really cool, is they, they used his acclaim, his, celebrity status to pull in a lot of feedback, a lot of, you know, awareness on their brand. And then as you've seen it, it's been over 20 years, they've changed it. So sometimes it's Justin, sometimes it's just instrumental. Sometimes it's the whistle. Most, most recently it's, um, oh, my husband knows him. I think he's from Breaking Bad, but he kind of does this, but it's like some <laughs> actor guy. It's like, it's a weird, like, melancholy twisted sounding version or, i'm not sure um uh oh shoot i had his name tip my tongue uh cox brian cox oh brian yeah. cox uh, he was the lead actor in succession he played the father in succession that, okay it's his voice now that they use in the mcdonald's where he's like sort of singing it but he's like more just kind of scatting it or something like that but it, it's really it's really cool because they started with Justin and they needed Justin to do like this, like push uh, amplifying McDonald's because it was kind of becoming a little passe. So they used Justin, then Justin went away. They had this thing that everybody now associated. It was a mnemonic that was in their head that we were all repeating over and over again. And they just slowly morphed it and changed it and transitioned it as the company was changing their campaigns and what they were their products and all that stuff the the sound really truly became mcdonald's rather than something justin sang wow. so it started you know focusing on this artist but it really became the brand if you really think about it because if you don't need to hear him but if you hear the right. ba -ba, even if it's sung if it's spoken um i bet but up might even do it yeah yeah, name that tune, baby. <laughs> and you're right. It could, yeah, it could be a whistle. It could be uh -huh. anything. Um, anything. 
Explain what a mnemonic is. Uh, I happen to know because I used to work in advertising with big ad agencies in New York, and they love to throw that word around, see how many people in the room actually knew it. Right. See how many people in the room got it. (laughs) So I had to learn it just so I could be cool. Uh, But please explain. So a mnemonic is a short auditory phrase. It's usually no more than five notes or five tones. Um, And so that's something that is associated with the idea of a sonic logo. So the Sonic logo is a short branded piece of quick jingle (laughs) that a brand would use. So a mnemonic would be another term for a Sonic logo. Um, Sonic logos can be longer. Um, Mnemonics can be longer, but um, it's pretty much the idea is short and sweet, like quick, get into your ear and into your brain. Another word for it is an earworm, which I hate that term, but earworm, mnemonic, Sonic logo, they all, they all go together. I heard something, somebody in Canada told me one and he's like, oh yeah, it's this. I'm like, I have never heard that word before. So there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of terms for it, but basically it's, it's a Sonic logo. It's part of Sonic branding. In Canada, it would be something like, oh, pardon me, because the Canadians are so incredibly and wonderfully polite. <laughs> um, I oh, thought it was it, only, what? It was like an ear stamp or something. It was weird. Ear so stamp? I'd never heard it before. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about the actual getting of the jobs. You know what? I want to talk pay scale first. Okay. So let's go back to the car dealership in Peoria. It's somebody's grandpa's Cadillac dealership and they want a Sonic logo. What might that company pay for a Sonic logo in Peoria versus what Intel might have paid for theirs or somebody huge like that. I think that what it can I'm I can't give you square numbers because it's No, a, a range. No, no, I know. Um like I wouldn't go below 5 5000 for a Sonic logo. Um but I wouldn't say 5 to Intel because obviously right. they can afford more. Um but it's basically you just look you you have to ask them what their marketing budget is like what's their their annual budget um what do they want to get out of this like are they expecting a certain amount out of this new um, branding asset that you're creating and once if you can get and this is this is hard <laughs> but if you can find out what their marketing budget is how much they expect to bank off of this mm-hmm. and then if you can tell them okay so this is going to stay probably this way for you know three four five years so then add all of those years into what you should be expecting to get and if you're doing your your marketing right you should be incrementally raising that amount that you expect out of it if you you know quote them five percent of what they expect to get out of it it's a good chunk of change but if you can get them to think about, you know, that this is a long-term invest investment, and I'm essentially doing a one-off for them, yeah, and providing something for them that maybe they'll come back to me to do like new iterations or something like that. In, in well, the who future. who ends up owning it then? Do they own the copyright? They they own it. They own it. Um, sometimes I have put copyright in there. Um, I'll also, uh, and, and this is this is everybody is different especially for like the smaller ones, I'll do something like I would own the copyright, but I would give them um, in perpetuity license for it. 
Um, I could also register it with a PRO if they actually start doing like um, broadcast advertising, um, potentially picking some of the the um, residuals off of online streaming and um, ad spends and things like that. So there's different ways that I can kind of coordinate with them. Um, the larger amount amounted budget, the more they're going to own because I have to be fair to all of us, you know? Right. So if, if they only have like $200, I'm going to be putting a lot of things in that contract, like in the long run, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to control this. You know, it, it, you just, it, it's always different. It's always different with every single case. Um, but you just want to make sure that it's fair or it's, I want it to be fair to me and my company, but I also want it to be fair to them because it is branding. This is my, um, I may be the, the creator, but I'm the, I'm the vessel. This is, this should be their inspiration and their imagination. So how do you, how do you let go at some point? How do you fill up your vessel? Do you enter, who do you interview? I'm sure you interview people at the company and what kinds of questions do you ask them? And do you ask them, uh, are there any Sonic logos uh, or Sonic branding that pops into your head that you like? You know, can you give me any direction? Um, how difficult is that conversation if they have some, for lack of a nicer way to say it, some harebrained ideas and you're going, I want to help you. I know I can help you, but yeah. if you don't get out of your own way, you're only going to hurt this effort. How do you deal with right. that? Well, I started piecing or building together a um, a Google questionnaire about a lot of it's a lot of brand focused questions. Um, let me see if I can grab it real quick and then I can tell you kind of what's on it. But it makes them think in the mindset of marketing, which they understand a lot better. Um, but like I would ask questions like, what's your overarching mission of your brand? That has nothing to do with sound, but it's to get them into the space of thinking about branding. Um, what's the most important thing you want people to know about the mission of your brand? What part of your brand are you most passionate about? What inspired you to create your brand? So I, I try and draw out the creation story of the brand itself, figure out why they did this in the first place. Um, and just from you know how I operate and how I understand when they start using those, I, I see the adjectives and the verbs and things that they use. And that helps me as a writer to kind of go, okay, they're looking for something that probably has um, a lot of heart, but it's it's subtle. So maybe it's some piano with like um, a, a light string line, or maybe this is just wind going through trees and then maybe like a stick hitting in a rhythm on a tree. I don't know. But mm -hmm. as I tell, as I get them to kind of tell me their brand story, I'm creating a mental picture of what that sounds like to me. And, um, w and when I, when they're answering these questions, it's putting them in the right space where they're like, okay, this is what I'm about kind of sitting, sitting in the moment. And then I'll start asking them questions like, uh, where did I go? Uh, what kinds of poems or songs or articles or books explains your mission? If you could describe your brand in five different descriptive words, what would they be? Um, what did I have? I asked them, uh, what colors do they associate with their brand? 
um, what action words, what kind of visual style guide to use, what kind of fonts do you use? Um, all of those sorts of things I've kind of learned to understand, like if they have a font that's got very like sharp lines, then maybe it's not a softer sound. Maybe it's a more like abrupt or in your face kind of thing. Um, if it's bubbly font, maybe it's a little bit sillier, you know, like that sort of thing. And I'm not saying I'm always right, but it at least gives me a frame of reference as to where I think they might go. So I do a lot of um, talking about branding to them because that's the language that they understand. They don't understand music. A lot of a lot of companies, they go, well, I don't understand music, so I can't do this sonic branding thing. But if you put it in a context that they understand, let me take care of the music part of it. You just talk about your brand and let's figure out what it sounds like. Do they, how often do you hit a home run when it's your first at bat, you know? Um, how often do you walk into the meeting after you've got something to play them and they go, wow, you nailed it versus, well, my 13 year old daughter says it doesn't sound enough like a Taylor <laughs> Swift record. Can you make it sound a little more like Taylor Swift? Um, well, I have, let's see here. My second to last one, I failed miserably, but we both had the wrong ideas in our heads. So we okay. parted ways. It didn't work. Um, they asked for something and I delivered and she actually said, she goes, well, we asked for the kitchen sink and you gave it to us and it was too much. <laughs> <laughs> so, and when I listened to it, I was like, you're absolutely right. This was too much. So that didn't work out because that was more, um, that was for a, a, an app. And so it was like functional sounds and we had too much going on. There was a functional sound for every different element. It was like for a physical therapy app. Oh, uh, wow. There was too much going on. Right. Uh, too, too you much, needed too mental much. therapy from using the physical therapy yeah, app. Yeah, <laughs> it should have been way more subtle. So I 100% agree that one did not work. Um, my first one, my first at bat actually was an out of the park. Uh, it was really, really good. and. I wasn't even looking for that job. Somebody found me on LinkedIn and uh, I, I I don't even know if I was talking about Sonic branding yet, but he said he wanted a, uh, a functional sound for a piece of hardware that he had. And it was a lot like, you know, like you push the button in it and it'll make a tone and then you'd ask it a question. So they needed a tone. And he talked to me on the phone for a couple minutes, told me, you know, he had a very clear idea of what he wanted. Um, and I was like, okay. And to my probably not best judgment, but it worked out that time. I didn't have a contract yet, but I was like, oh, I'll put together like three mock-ups, see what, see what he thinks. And so I did three drafts, sent it to him. And I was like, okay, well, is this, you know, somewhere in the ballpark, we can go from here. And he goes, I like the second one. Where do I mail the check? Ah. I was like, well, wait a sec, this is a draft. I mean, like, let me, let me mix it a little bit better. And he's like, no, no, don't touch it. Where do I send the check? And I was paid. Like it was surprising. So that was actually where I was like, huh, there's something to this. And it was, yeah, a, it was a very good Easier paycheck. than I thought it would be. <laughs> it was a very good paycheck. So um, yeah, that was when I was kind of like, okay, let's, let's look at this a little bit more seriously. How many projects do you work on in a non-COVID normal year? <laughs> normal year. Yeah. Well, first off, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. So I don't get to do it as frequently as I would like. Um, I was talking to you, you know, off camera or off the, the stream. Right. Um, 
but my my youngest is starting first grade at the end of this month so i will have a solid five hours a day to myself um so i am hoping that i can kind of amp it up a lot of what i've been doing in the past eight years or so is um getting my ducks in a row um working on a lot of functional sound projects not so much a whole sonic granny package i haven't landed that yet um, I've been align, aligning with some other Sonic Granny agencies that I might, you know, come alongside uh, sometime soon. Who knows? Um, and I've been writing. I've been doing the podcast. I've been making the connections that I need to make and watching as this industry begins because it really I'm I'm at the forefront and anyone who wants to join me we're at the forefront of this thing that is going to explode that's why um, i wanted to have you on the show and literally why i gave it the title uh something like could sonic branding be your next career path because taxi at its core is about creating a musician middle class uh we're not so much on the rock star thing you're going to have a number one single or you're going to sell 10 million albums um, that's how the company started, but I quickly realized that the more achievable route to income from your music was getting your music into production music libraries, film and TV and advertising. Right. So that's the way we went. But um, because of you and the fact that I get your emails all the time and I've listened to the podcasts, uh, not many because I'm a busy, busy guy, but I've listened that's to okay. some. And I think that you're really, really smart. And I, I remember, I mean, anybody who knew you back in the day at the Taxi Road Rally always had a smile on their face when your name came up because you're a smart, nice person. So who better to learn from than somebody who really knows what they're talking about and presents it in a very affable way, which you do. So that leads me to put you on the spot in front of all these people watching the show. Will you come and teach this at the Road Rally? I'd love to. Oh All my right. gosh, I, I don't shut up about this stuff. I love it so much. <laughs> In a good way. I would yeah. love to have you come and yeah. um, definitely do a class. If there's a way to get me to get you on a panel, I would do that. And we should also look at having you do one-to-one -one mentoring where people could play you Fun. stuff that they've done and say, you know, would this qualify as sonic branding or did I yeah. go too far? So yes, let's talk further about that. But those of you watching, okay. this is the sort of stuff that you get. And at the road rally, if there's a way for me to get you on the main stage, we could actually play examples and not worry about the copyright issues we'd have to deal with putting them on right. YouTube. So that Absolutely. would be cool. Um, well, great. I'm excited about that. By the way, I want to let everybody know who's watching today that I got um, like Adam Taylor, who's the CEO of APM, which is not even arguably, it's the, the largest production music library on the planet. And he's been mm -hmm. the CEO for like 22 years or something. He's also the chairman of the board and a founding uh, member of the Production Music Association. So he's going to be our keynote, and he and I are going to be talking about the future of the industry. You know, uh, what about prices being, or, you know, pay being cut by the networks? What about the possibility mm. of AI replacing composers? Which I, yes. I said to him, I brought up something on the phone that I'm not going to reveal on this show or prior to the rally. But when I said, I don't think anybody's got anything to worry about for quite some time, even if AI can do it six months from now, 
people won't have to worry for five or 10 years. And here's why I think that. And he went, you just nailed it. You're absolutely right. So I can't wait to have that discussion with him. And Fine. yeah, there was something else that I booked for the rally that I wanted to tell everybody about. And I can't remember it now. Mm. Oh, well. It'll come to you as it, soon it, it as will. you end the Of course. Yes. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I'm so excited about this year's rally. Last year, we were still getting back into the saddle post-COVID, and it was all about remembering the way we used to do everything, looking at our notes. And honestly, I felt like I could have done a little better on the content. Every year, I have a goal of making it at least 15% better than the previous rally. I felt like it was 5% better last year, and I really let everybody down. So just know, um, this year's rally, I am busting my hump as we speak to make it like holy crap good. So don't miss it. Um, okay, so how That's do- That's a big promise there. It, promise. But I will live up to it because I, <laughs> I literally go 90 days straight without a day off and, and just try and do everything I can to make it so that every person who comes go says, that was worth the 300 bucks I spent on that plane ticket. Absolutely. Well, so. and I'll just do, I mean, it's been, it's been a few years, but I will just, do a pitch for taxi because I've been going since 2005 and it is so much fun. So much fun. Um, the people there are so supportive and loving and you will not have a better time down in the bar area. And if you don't lose your voice by the end of the weekend, you did not do it right. <laughs> That's right. It's so um, much fun. Yeah. And, and Educational. I mean, yes. the people, the level of people that we get on the panels and teaching classes and stuff at the rally. I had, I was working on something the other day and I had to go back into the success stories that are on the taxi website to find people that mentioned the rally. The number of people that have gotten deals at the rally that resulted in paychecks because they went to the rally, it used to be every now and then. Now it's literally like half of the deals our members get are because of the relationships that they started with somebody at the rally. Most classic one was um, a gentleman that was standing in line to another gentleman who's actually a panelist and happened to be in the wrong line. He was a music library owner and he got in the four hour long line and he met uh, one of our members and they started talking. That member signed like 112 pieces of music to that library because he went to the rally and that other guy was standing in the wrong line. So I love that. Well, I um, have a story too. My, yeah. I have a friend, I won't, I won't say names, but I think you might know who I'm talking about. But I had a friend who was at Taxi and he was British or he is British. And there was a music supervisor there that was Scottish very thick accent. No one could understand him. <laughs> Including me. I know I know you know. Was, yeah. <laughs> Except for my friend oh, who fun? had a very, very good conversation with him. Long story short, he went like a decade working for a publishing company because of that connection. He got oh, signed wow. and he was working for, I don't know if he's still with that company or not, but it was, it was a, at least 10 years that he was doing some solid work writing like B-side tracks for big artists and crazy stuff. So you, you and, never know, but it is about the relationships. It's about that yeah. person to person connection. People don't believe it will happen to them. So they mm -hmm. don't get off their butt and come. 
And then they hear these stories and they go, well, he must know somebody or, you know, they probably have a cousin in common or something like that. No, it's just a freakishly good thing about the rally is that everybody feels very much at ease and like we're all in this together. And Taxi's most successful members will actually spend good quality time with the, the people who are just starting out. And, and right what a great way to ride somebody's coattails into a deal. If you're a bassoon player and they do a lot of orchestral stuff and don't have yep. a real bassoon player, all of a sudden you're collaborating with somebody that's got deals with seven libraries and they get to know who you are. And then they call you up and say, we need a Christmas album of solo bassoon. And right. You, you get, don't know. You yeah. honestly don't know. <laughs> what was the guy in Maine that did like accordion? Oh, uh, oh what's his name? Gosh. He did so good. <laughs> I love that guy. I can't believe I can't remember his name. I call him like every other year just to say hi because he's such a lovely person, so enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. I yeah. went to, I, I flew to Maine yeah. when I found out how successful he had become because of Taxi. I flew there just to take him out to dinner and say congratulations because who the hell needs an accordion player? And this uh -huh. guy was getting stuff in like big Hollywood movies because he yeah. was an accordion player. So right. we walk into a restaurant that is like, I mean, the, he lived in Kittery Point, Maine. There are not a lot of restaurants there. And <laughs> we go to a restaurant where apparently he knows everybody. It's like Norm walking into Cheers. We walk oh. through the door and everybody's like Norm to him. And then he goes, can I have your attention? This is Michael Lasco from Taxi. He's from Los Angeles, and he's really in the music industry. I was so <laughs> embarrassed, but he, he was so sweet about it. It was very cute. After dinner, we went to his house, which was deep, deep, deep into a forest in Maine. And we go in the front door, and I think it went something like this. Where I said to him, I thought you were married. He goes, well, I'm not anymore, sadly. And I said, oh, what happened? He said, let me show you. And he walks me up to his attic, which is converted to like a, a bedroom or a studio or something. There's like 200 accordions up there. And he goes, it was either them or her. And she oh, left. No. I've never seen anybody so obsessed with a musical instrument oh, as he is. Goodness. But he's like a world-class expert on anything you could want to think about accordion-wise. So there you go. The next time you need an yeah. accordion player for a sonic brand, he's uh -huh. your guy. Um, oh, and the next day he took me out to lunch and we went to like a little place, little seaside restaurant, you know, the umbrella tables outside. And he said, what are you getting? I said, I'm in Maine. What do you think I'm getting? Lobster. Yeah. And he looked sad, like his face was melting and he was going to cry. And I said, what's the matter? He goes, lobsters are my friends. And oh, I, no. <laughs> I said, excuse me? He goes, yeah, he swims. He puts on a wetsuit and swims like 10 miles a day in this saltwater wow. river that goes through Kittery Point, Maine. Oh, and he finds okay. all these relics from like Revolutionary War, Civil War. And he sees lobsters down there and he gives them all pet names. So he said, you could be eating one of my friends. <laughs> I still ordered the lobster. That's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> oh, <laughs> anyway, oh, let's goodness. get back to the topic at hand. Enough Sorry about of these. That. <laughs> That's okay. It's, it's, uh, I love telling these stories. God, what is his name? You, oh, sweetest guy I in the world. I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. So, how do you find clients? And I want to preface this by saying, for those of you who think you know everything about sonic branding because you've listened to Gina for the last hour. 
I probably wouldn't advise calling up people from the Yellow Pages or Google or something and saying you're a sonic branding expert. You know, jump in, get your feet wet, come and meet her at the rally, get her personal advice, listen to the samples or examples that she'll play you, and then maybe. But how did you get clients when you first started out and now that you've got a portfolio, how do you approach getting clients? Um, I am constantly changing the model as much as I can um, because I haven't quite found that sweet spot yet. Um, like I said, most of most of the stuff that I work on now, other than like my thought leadership and um, you know what I speak about, is mostly functional sounds and sonic logos. Um, so <laughs> I I remember I got referred by a flooring company actually here in Sacramento by another friend and they were looking for a jingle. And I should have known better. Um, I should have gone with, oh, they want a jingle, okay. Um, and I just kept using the word like logo and all that stuff. And I, I quoted them and they got really mad. And they're like, that's my whole video budget. I just want a song. And I'm like, okay, I should have just done the quote for like a cutesy little jingle, but I, I got in my head. So that's one thing that you should not do. If the client, if the person is not looking for that per se, either you have to be much more clever about your pitch or deliver what they're looking for. Um, and so in that respect, I should have just written a cute little jingle that they wanted for like their one or two TV commercials that they were gonna be putting together. Um, the other thing that I do is I try and focus on the industries that understand sensory marketing. So the idea of sensory marketing is using the senses. So we have five senses, sight, sound, smell, touch, and taste. So if you find an industry that understands more than just the sight element of marketing, you're going to have a better chance of explaining to them what you're offering. So for example, if I was focusing on fragrance, uh, fragrance companies or food companies, um, Things like that. Uh, what else was in my head? Uh, yeah. So, anyways, if they understand already that that two or more senses paired together in marketing is more powerful, that would be definitely the type of clients that you would want to be looking for. The other one is, um, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I can't get a hold of Target. <laughs> I can't get a hold of these huge companies. I don't have the clout. I don't have the infrastructure. If Target were to approach me tomorrow and say, hey, I want a whole Sonic Branding package, I would be hustling to try and get a team together to get this to happen. So you also have to know your limitations. Wouldn't they of... reach out to the ad agency that they use for everything else and say, we need Sonic Branding? So Yeah, and then the ad agency would be like, Sonic what? <laughs> right, so maybe, maybe that's your your approach is reaching out to ad agencies in like mid-sized cities like Minneapolis and stuff like that, where they wouldn't know where to go. And and you have built a sonic brand. You are the face of sonic branding in their world. So when they do get asked, they know who to call. And that was what I was gonna say is, uh, uh, you know, if you can't approach the smaller companies who don't really have a budget per se for uh, sonic branding or music in general, uh, if you go to those advertising agencies that focus on slightly higher scale, you know that those companies that they represent have the budget for marketing in general. 
So you already know that they are ones that could potentially be um, interested if if the right argument was argumented or whatever. But if, <laughs> if you can go through the agency, use the agency's clout and kind right. of ride that. You, um, yeah, that you is, automatically become a world-class expert because of your association with, you know, right. Doyle, Dana, Bernbach or whoever. Yeah, and it's either, you know, are you okay with being white labeled or are you going to ask these agencies to actually say this came from Dreamer Productions? Those are questions that you would need to know. The other thought that I just came up with the other day, but it like kind of blew my brain and now I it's too much, it's too big. What if I didn't approach these advertising agencies? What if I approached the venture capitalist companies that own the advertising agencies like Publicis and WPP and those sorts of things so that I am representing these, and then they have multiple agencies that they represent, and I could represent the agencies and all of these agencies' clients. But that was like a, too big of a thought, and it hurt my brain. So uh, I think I'm going to stick with the idea of agencies for right now. <laughs> Gosh, you know, it's funny. Almost 40 years ago, maybe 35, 37 years ago, I hired a guy whose brother commuted with me on the bus from New Jersey to New York every day, and the guy was a music attorney for Radio City Music Hall, and he mentioned, mm -hmm. oh, I've got a little brother who's kind of a pothead who runs a studio out of my parents' basement with an 8-track 1-inch. If you ever need anybody, because I was running the largest audio post facility anywhere on the planet Earth at that point in my career. And uh -huh. sure enough, like a year later, I brought in Thundercats as a client. Remember, Thundercats, Thundercats, Thundercats. Uh -huh. <laughs> anyway, I brought them in to our studio, built two audio post rooms for them. We did all the voice recording and all the cutting up of the voices, blah, 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 adding the music. And I hired this kid because he had such an award-winning personality. Mm. I left New York in 81, oh no, I left New York in 88. So I'd worked with him for like three years. He was a great guy, I loved him. Haven't spoken to him since. I cold called him the other day out of the blue and it was like we'd only been away from each other for 10 minutes. And he <laughs> is all of this stuff you're talking about in New York City. He okay. became a famous audio post engineer, like only A plus clients. Then uh, started a facility called Broadway Sound with Lauren Michaels from uh, uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh -huh. Then they parted company after maybe 10 years of doing that. Now he's got his own thing. And all the engineers are working remotely in different cities. There is no facility to go to like back in the day. And I uh -huh. said to him, what are you doing? And he said, everything and anything. He said, some days I mix big commercials. Other days I record a voiceover. Other days I'm doing sonic branding. And I went, what? <laughs> and so he does, he said sometimes I create music for a TV show he's just said all of it I am living the life and I said well remember who gave you your first real gig not that I've ever played that card with you or anybody before so I actually got him to agree to do a taxi sequel for the road rally we do three days oh, of nice. video sequels after the fact but man I would love to have you and him on stage at the rally Ooh, in person fun. together. You guys. I'd love to pick his brain. <laughs> oh, you guys would love each other. I mean, just, yeah, you know, he speaks that entire language and he's a really funny, really outgoing, like doesn't take oh, himself nice. seriously at all kind of guy. Um, Very cool. Yeah, this, I'm telling you guys, 
If you're on the fence about the road rally this year, no longer be on the fence. It's going to be stupendous. Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying that. Um, <laughs> let's see if there's anything that I haven't asked you yet. Oh, one that um, I can't remember if it was in your podcast somewhere you mentioned it. One of the most iconic Sonic branding logos in the world is the sound you hear when you start your Apple computer. Mm -hmm. We all know that sound. Every single person who lives in a civilized area of the world, even mm -hmm. third world people would know that sound. Um, everybody mm -hmm. knows the sound of an iPhone ring. Um, yeah. There are just some things that become iconic. The Netflix. The yeah. Netflix. Adam. Yeah. Which they got in a little bit of trouble for that because um, they found out during COVID they were having it pop up too many times and people were starting to get annoyed. So you also have to be careful about how much you use that because when it becomes annoying, you're doing the opposite of helping your brand. You are becoming annoying. Taylor Sheridan, who writes and produces and sometimes directs um, Yosem <laughs> or, uh, not Yosemite, um, Yellowstone. I know that name. Yellowstone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah which one of the film. greatest shows ever. Um, yeah. And 1883, which may have actually uh -huh. been better than Yellowstone, if that's possible. <laughs> um, 1923, jury's still out on that one. Took a little while to get going. I but my, caught that one yet. I'm curious, though, because of Harrison. But, uh, yeah. Give it four episodes. It literally okay. takes four episodes, and then it's over in like six or eight. But oh, um, okay. it, it's got a very slow ramp up, really slow. It's quality <laughs> TV, but you're going not even close to Yellowstone. What's up? And he's just rolled out a new show called Lioness, um, which okay. is about a female like CIA covert operative that could, you know, rip your heart out with her pinky finger kind of woman. Oh, I think I've seen something about that. Okay, yeah. In all four of the shows, at the end of every scene before it goes to commercial, you hear, boom, boom. The, it's very subtle. It, it's just, you know, a, a bass drop, and it's like a little poof of a bass drop. But it's become a thing for him. And now, if I were walking down the street and I heard that sound, I would think that's a Taylor Sheridan show. He must be shooting. Are you looking at me, Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny how these little things can have such a big impact and sometimes you don't even notice them. Maybe that's part of the goal is that mm -hmm. you don't notice that it's the Love It for Levitt's commercial that drives you crazy because you've heard it too many times. But I don't know anybody that gets found, uh, offended by the sound of a Mac starting up. Yeah. Well, you, you know the, 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 um, the drive behind that like what he was trying to sort of recreate, uh, but not no. create. <laughs> it's the, um, oh gosh, I can't remember which song it is, but it's from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Dream. Or, oh yeah. Oh. Done. He, he subtly put it in there because it was a little bit of an, this is what I read. It was something like it was a little tiny bit of an FU to both Apple and to the Beatles because there was like this controversy going on and all that stuff. So. The Jeff, um, oh, what's his name? Steve Jobs. Jim Reeks. No, Jim oh. uh, Reeks. Uh, Jim Reeks, I think, was the audio guy that put that sound in. He put it uh, in at the last minute before there was time to change it. Because he is wow. like, there was a tritone sound and he hated it. And so he stuck it in at the last minute um, 
before it, you know, before it went out and it was too late for things to be changed. It's actually kind of a comforting sound because when uh-huh. you own a Mac, you know, most of the time they start up and most of the time they're trouble-free. They've got a much better right. reputation for being trouble-free than IBM style computers. Um, I'm so old, I still call them IBMs. Um, <laughs> but every time I restart, you know, like after downloading uh, a new OS on my Mac laptop, and I hear that sound, I go, oh, it worked. There's something, <laughs> it's literally like your mom yeah. rubbing your tummy while she's pregnant with you going, I can't wait to uh-huh. meet you. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, well and you just, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a subtle notation telling you everything's going to be okay what you just tried to accomplish has been accomplished stay tuned yeah that's that's basically what it's saying it doesn't have to be like the most beautiful orchestration from the you know london philharmonic you know if you get your point across it it could it could be as easy as like you know I, i don't i can't i can't do it but like you know just the right rhythm where you're just like tapping your fingers that could be all you're looking for. I always think about um, like REI. I still don't know why REI does not have sonic branding yet. They're perfect for it. You mean like you the, think, the camping climbing gear company? Yeah, there's none. And I'm trying so hard to get a hold of somebody and I almost got there and then I didn't. But, um, it, you know, what I think of all of these natural sounds that come to my mind when you think of like mm. an outdoor company like that crunching of leaves, boots stepping on, you know, rocks and um, campfires crackling and birds whistling. There's so much creativity that they could use that are natural sounds that they could own, just like the Coca-Cola Fizz thing. Yeah, It's not, they didn't create these sounds, but they could own them. That's the weirdest part about Sonic Branding. So you should do it. (laughs) <laughs> do do a, a mock-up spot, you know, go watch a little Casey Neistat and see yeah. how he just literally compresses things to the max and, and uh-huh. brings the fader up to 11. You're right, the, you know, the sound of a twig snapping under a foot hiking. Yeah. Perfect. And it's like, and it's a calm sound. So anybody who knows somebody in like acquisitions or um, a marketing brand manager or something, you let me know. I will mock something up and I will send it to them because dang, like so prime for this. That's right. Gina will give you an hour long consult for free at the road rally if you do that. Yes, (laughs) I totally would. (laughs) I'd make you, I'd make you a lasagna and everything. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I make good lasagna. So there you go. I don't doubt that. Uh, You are, you're like, (laughs) I've, I didn't forget what a pleasure you are to hang out with, but I do remember that almost any time I bumped into you with a pod of your road rally friends, that I always walked away thinking, damn, she's super nice. You are. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Your parents you. raised you well. Um, oh, I'll tell them that. I'll yeah, please do. Yeah, because parents never <laughs> get a, a, enough credit for what they get right. They only get blamed for what they get wrong, which apparently That's is That's true. I wall. did apologize once I had my first child. Um, probably like a couple months in, I called my mom and my brother didn't have a kid yet. And I called my mom and I said, um, so on behalf of me and James, I'm sorry. Just, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) She appreciated Uh, it. (laughs) Yep. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, those were my final words to my dad before he passed away is thank you for all the good stuff you taught me. 
I never said thank you to him for any of that. And there's so much wow. that I, you know, you, you don't realize until you're faced with a moment like that where you're kind of adding up the scorecard going, yeah. crap, I know we had some screaming fights and I probably shouldn't have taken that car that time when they were out of town and said, don't drive the car while we're gone. Those kinds of things. But <laughs> right, then, sure. yeah, in the end. Anyway, let's do some Q&A. And I'm so excited that you want to come to the rally. Um, Yay, I'm so excited too. Yeah, be it'll fun. be cool. Um, all right, Q&A, guys. If you have a question, please type the word question in all caps so that I can see it as it flies by in the uh, chat. And I will pick the ones that I understand. Sometimes people put questions in there. I'm going, I don't really understand that. So make them short, make them pithy. Yeah. Uh, and I will relay them to Gina and she will give you an awesome answer. Here's one coming from Katrina Seifert. So far, I've just got question, colon. <laughs> and I'd love to type my information and in if people want to like go to like soundandmarketing.com, I put all my resources in there. Uh, you can check out the podcast from there. Um, and you know if you're interested in like my client facing stuff that's dreamer productions d-r-e-a-m-r productions.com right. and um so drop the e i don't know why i did that but here we are it, uh, it looks it, cool <laughs> i i don't know why i did that i honestly i think i thought it was cute yeah that, that's all i got but um and then i also do a lot of writing if you're familiar with the platform medium you can find me on medium um where i test out a lot of my thought thought leadership ideas, my theories, um, my statistics that I found formulating them into coherent thoughts, explaining sonic branding. I put all of that stuff on Medium first and then it goes onto my official blog on Dreamer Productions. Um, so if you're interested in just like catching a four or five minute read here or there, um, come over to Medium. I'm having a blast over there. So yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I will have uh, Gina reiterate all that stuff uh, at the end of the show, too. So if you sure. didn't okay. didn't get the website and all this stuff, we will do it. Um, okay, so a couple questions have come through. Um, where was it? Here's one. Is producing sonic branding different from other production like songs, cues, etc.? That's from yes. Rainy Bear. Yes, it's totally different because um, you're writing it on a spec. Like you have an actual, uh, I forgot what it's called. It's RFP, RFP. You're, you're writing for an, a specific project. You're, okay. you're given an assignment. Um, this is what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you have X amount of notes uh, and revisions that you can put in there. Uh, you have to follow that map. So it's a map of what the client has said and from what your musical and marketing background is um, squishing all of that together to create something that is their visionary, not yours. So that's the hardest part is you go, man, oh, it would sound so so much cooler if I did it this way. Um, but that's not what they're asking for. So yes, it's very different. You've um, just inspired an idea. Why don't those of you in the chat room or people who are in the chat room watching today's episode go into the comments below the video after it's posted, you know, for the archive. And why don't you guys post, be the client and say, I'd like a Sonic logo that accomplishes these things and then take shots mm -hmm. at writing for each other's. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, that is a great idea. practice. Yeah. Cause that's, I think that's one of the hardest things for a creative 
to get out of their own head because they know their own genius, you know, right. this is the perfect thing. But if, for example, this flooring company, they wanted a jingle, I thought they needed a Sonic logo. So I was pitching something they weren't asking for and I didn't get the gig. <laughs> but got, you learned a great life lesson. I did. I kind of got yelled at through email. I never even got a phone call with her because she just like shut down. Wow. So, yeah. She's just like, I, that's, I'm insulted by this. This is so much money. And I'm like, well, and then I kind of backpedaled and I was like, oh, well, if, if all you want is this, we can talk about something else. But I'd already lost it at that point. So it was gone. You live, you learn. Yeah. Um, Pierre Venio wants to know, how do you get to be good at Sonic Branding? <clears throat> what should I practice with? Um, do a lot of reading, do a lot of research, see what's out there. Cause there's a lot out there. Um, the other thing that I focus on is I see all the new technology coming out and how there's so much more audio focused, uh, marketing platforms. Like for one example, clubhouse, that's audio only, <laughs> uh, the metaverse, this is all about sensorial and immersive experiences. And this is technology that isn't fully cognitive yet think ahead what's coming what kind of things will we need what what kinds of outlets are people not even looking for yet that's the stuff that if you're thinking ahead that that's always the problem with like writing something based off of something that already exists you might you know find a niche and that's great and i know a lot of people who are doing very well doing that sort of thing but at some point you have to interpret that as sounding like this but completely new mm -hmm. like where is that line and i don't know the answer to that but for sonic branding because it's such a new thing um like i'm literally i'm literally writing an article now like a cornerstone white paper piece with the definitions of sonic branding that are not out they're not there like yeah. people are calling it slightly different things when i'm done with this piece i'm sending it to like 50 of my closest contacts to check and see if they concur with me because it's not out there. So be thinking ahead. That's the biggest part. Research, see what's there, watch what's coming, be a forward thinker. Be Steve Jobs, create what people yeah. need, but they don't know that they need it yet. They, yeah. He, he always, yeah, he always <laughs> figured out what people wanted before yeah. they knew they wanted it. Um, and he knew how to pitch. Yeah. Whoops, yeah. I gotta scroll back up. Uh, will Sonic branding requests be offered in our daily taxi email newsletter? I honestly would love to see that, but I wouldn't expect it anytime soon for the exact reason that Gina has explained is most people don't even know what it is or that they could benefit from it. So it's not like, um, I guarantee you if my NR team made a hundred phone calls to people, to music supervisors, um, are you working on any Sonic branding campaigns? Can we run it by our members and see what they come up with? They'd go, Sonic what? So Gina is ahead of the curve. That's why I wanted to make you guys aware of this by having her on the show today so that you guys could be ahead of the curve instead of behind it. Don't be riding the coattails, be, you know, be the hood ornament. For all you know, I mean, like, you're you're right. Like, music supervisors are not gonna have this. Nobody's coming to these music supervisors for this kind of stuff. But 
when it catches on, because I am confident that it will catch on, people will want to ride the coat trail or coattails of the sonic running idea and they will think of entertainment. And then they potentially might go to music supervisors or music related platforms and say, I need this. And it could be that Taxi starts creating out of the box sonic logos, who knows? Uh, it might be something that will be connected at some point once it catches on. I've got a close friend who's the head of music at the largest ad agency on the planet Earth. Um, I will mention you to him. Uh, this okay. guy's been around the ad agency, you know, the audio side and the music side of major, major ad agencies, you know, like household name ad agencies for 30, 40 years probably now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask him. We've never had this discussion before, but it must be going on in New York if my other friend that I hired many years ago for Thundercats is doing uh -huh. that work. Somebody's got the lights turned on in NYC. It's more it's more on East Coast than West Coast. Shockingly, it's hmm. not on the West Coast. There's a couple of companies that are sort of doing it, but East Coast and Europe, that's who's got it. Europe's got it figured out. So most of my work is in Europe. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like Germany and France and UK, they've got it. In Italy, Dubai, they've got it figured out. We're and, slow. Yep. Uh, here's a question from Alan Hall. Can a sound be too simple or generic to be copyrighted? Well, that depends. And I, I know you know that too, Michael. It's like all depending on, you know, the, the sequence of notes and is it copycatting something else? And I don't think it's the simplicity of it. Um, I don't know if you could copyright necessarily one note, because I think it has to be a sequence of some sort, um, but I wouldn't know that for sure. That would be a music lawyer question, but- um, Yeah, what about, what about copywriting the, the Netflix Sonic logo? Um, we all know what it is. It is uh -huh. unto itself, it's singularly identifiable, and it's mm -hmm. a note. Well, it's a harmony yeah. stack, but yeah. Well, it's a harmony. Yeah, it's a harmony stack. There's there's a lot of a lot of layers in there, so yeah. that could definitely be copyrighted. And I don't know if it was the creator that copyrighted it, or if Netflix got on it and copyrighted it himself. I'm, I'm guessing Netflix copyrighted it. You've got mail. There's a Sonic brand in the voice oh, yeah. realm. Um, that Absolutely. guy was like the husband of somebody that worked at America Online, and I think he got paid like you know twenty five hundred dollars or something to do that. Whatever it was, boy. There was a, a seven or eight year period where you heard that everywhere all the time. Um, what's the biggest difference between sonic branding and sound design, Ken Messford would like to know? That is a good question. Um, I think that sound design is definitely an element of sonic branding, but sound design could also just be functional. So, um, you know, like I think of acoustical sound design, um, people can create the right ambiance in a restaurant um, but I don't know if it's necessarily sonic branding or not. That would be kind of be a gray line. Um, but definitely sound design is an element of sonic branding. But sonic branding specifically is whatever is created is researched and developed from the brand entity itself. I think sound design wouldn't need to have all of that extra thought unless it was going to go into that realm eventually. I'm amazed by how um, trailers, 
we all hear trailers. Uh, Dina, here's how pathetic I am. My wife and kids are out of the country uh, at the moment. Uh, right. And I had a free pass to a movie theater, so I went by myself to see the Barbie movie yesterday afternoon. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, gosh, I want to see it. I'm so excited about that one. I'm on the fence. But, um, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it, it was a well-made movie, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into what I didn't like about it. There were aspects of it that I really did like and I thought it was cute and funny. Why am I talking about this, though? Um, gosh, what were we talking about right before? Oh, uh, trailers. Uh, you know, I, I paid silly attention to trailers. And what two years ago I thought were things that the composer was building into the track, I've come to realize that the visual editors at trailer houses which are ad agencies for movie advertising. Right. They're not just trailer houses. They are legitimate ad agencies that focus on that one aspect of advertising. Mm -hmm. But they um, they have sound effect libraries and they do a lot of that sound design that I thought, and I'm sure many of us, because everybody thinks just like me, that uh, this stuff was part of what the composer was doing. But a lot of the whooshes and drops and bangs and taiko drums and stuff that you hear in trailers right. is actually added in post. Just saying. Yeah. Um, okay, let me find how yeah, there's, fast. There's a whole other field in there that's really fascinating that you know people should check out as well. Because trailer houses, whew, they they do a lot of work. If you can if you can align with them, but you got to be like big and bombastic and like yeah if you think you're being bombastic enough you're not that's yeah what, exactly one of my trailer music supervisor friends conferred with what a trailer composer friend of mine said which is at the moment where you think wow that's friggin bombastic as all get out it's uh -huh. probably not bombastic enough yeah. uh, you know it, it frustrates me going back to the road rally for a second i will get people of that caliber and put them on the main stage in the grand ballroom and we'll get, we've got a thousand seats in there. We'll get 250 people. It's like, I work uh, so hard to get these great people that are teaching you stuff that's no, not really taught elsewhere. No, but those were the really good conversations. I was sitting yeah. in that crowd because that was like amazing. Because there was like two guys doing it at the beginning. Now yeah. there's more, but it was just like, it was insane information. Yeah. Uh, but, but yet people are hanging out at the bar, getting spittle all over each other's face, talking about, well, I've got this amp or that guitar, which is all fine and dandy, but do it when the panels are over. Yeah, wait till 6 o'clock, 5.36. Wait till then. Go and get your information. Get your get your education on. Yeah. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot. And, and uh, you know, and I would always do, like, room hopping from here and there if, if it wasn't quite right or, you know, you've got two two uh events that you want to go to in there at the same time like don't feel bad about getting up because yeah. this is your opportunity that's right most <laughs> of the time i'm moderating from the front row so my back is to you so i can't identify you and hit you with a pea shooter on your way out yeah, of the he's ballroom not point at you <laughs> like oh i see him <laughs> i did that one time to some guy and i got the meanest <laughs> oh, no. yeah and i did it in a super funny way you know like you don't think i know that you're leaving but i do and i turned around because <laughs> it was somebody that got up from right behind me so I could feel like the little oh, wish of air when yeah, they yeah, stood yeah. up and I could hear him walking down the aisle and oh. the guy sent me you know you humiliated me in public I said I did it in good fun but I'm sorry anyway um, <laughs> okay uh, here's a question from Katrina Seifert how fast are your turnarounds for Sonic branding and logos um, well that all depends on the contract as well I like to move as fast as possible because if you stretch out too much time the 
the idea, the thought, the imagination it just kind of like unravels. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to do it when it's really powerful, when people are really excited. So like the questionnaire that I that I hand out, I get them inspired. So they're starting to talk about it in their language and then it goes into my language. And you want to jump on that as, as quickly as possible while they're still excited, while they're like, what is this going to be? Because that's the really that's the coolest part of what what I do is watching that aha moment when they're like, whoa, I I get it. Like, I get it. Like this, this could be really cool. What if we did this? What if we did that? And when they start to like imagine things outside of what you're saying, that is freaking awesome. When they're just like, oh, well, we could do this. And oh, well, what if we thought about this? It, it, it's so cool. It's, it's so, great so that cool. they get collaborative with you. But what happens if, uh-huh. the, if their ideas aren't such strong ideas? How do you gracefully, you know, avoid that little train wreck? Uh, you smile and you nod and you and implement what you think and put elements of what they think. And you just shoot it out and see, you know, like maybe, maybe there's something that you're like, oh, I don't think this quite plays, leave it out, see if they care, if they do put it back in. But if you've already given them something that, you know, is cohesive and it does match what they're asking for and not this extra, that's going to get in the way. When you put the thing that's getting in the way back in, it'll be noticeable because whatever you shoot out to them first, that's what they're going to remember the most. So, yeah. That, that was my that was my downfall with the with the app company with the kitchen sink. Right, they they heard everything. <laughs> they couldn't go back from that. <laughs> so, how many things do you typically send them? I, I remember I grew up in a little family owned uh, department store in a farm town of sixteen thousand people. My grandmother always said, if you show a lady one coat she won't buy it. If you show her two, she probably will buy one or the other. If you show her three, she'll walk out of there confused. Too many choices. So is there any thought process into how many possibilities you present to your clients? I would never go beyond three because you're absolutely right. Like it's, you know, like when I'm on Amazon and I start to read the reviews, I never go past two or three because then I just leave Amazon completely. I'm like, I don't understand what string lights I need for my outs- outside anymore. I, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> so yeah, no more than three for sure. And I try and do it where, you know, two are similar and one might be out there, you know, so that there's, you kind of decide if it, if they like the one that's out there, there might still be some more notations and development uh, on that respect, but the other two are like kind of safer. That's usually kind of what I do. Like I don't go too crazy, but if they, if, if they might be experimental, I might try something a little more daring and see if they take it. Are there any instruments that tend to be favored from the client reaction side? Like when you get a gig, are you, as soon as you start to formulate, you're in the ballpark, you know, where you're going more or less uh-huh. do instrument sounds start to fall into your head and go well, this would be really good for like an 80s sounding synth or this would be good for an acoustic sound slow or pitch down how does that all come about yeah um definitely like i i kind of i hear where they're going and, and instruments come to my mind um like what was it one of them was he he explained that he wanted it to sound like skipping stones off of a lake. And so I used um, some like mallets, some really light mallets and a a soft piano. 
Uh, and I think that was kind of it. Like it was very minimal. It might've even been um, like a marimba instead of a piano. Hmm. Um, but I, I wanted it to be soft and kind of the, the echo, the reverberation kind of did the bouncing across the, the lake kind of idea. So that's, that's the composer in me. And I think that most of the composers that are listening would understand that sort of thing. That's why I would use um, in, my, in my questionnaire, I would try and get adjectives out of them. If they can do descriptive words explaining what they want, I can use that to figure out tone, maybe timbre, maybe instrument, you know, depending on what they're saying. Um, uh, you know, I want it to sound like a, a cat running across the top of a fence. Like that's the sound in my head, you know? <laughs> but if you can get them to actually describe it, it can become musical from a non-musical perspective. Wow. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, it does. And, you know, there are a lot of people who don't have a musical vocabulary, including some production music library owners yeah. that I've met. They can ask for whatever they know is a hot genre in the industry in general, or that uh -huh. other library owner friends of theirs have told them about. But if you actually ask them to suggest some references, they would probably get it wrong because people right. interpret sensory stuff differently. I mean, hot and cold, we all know, but what is yeah. really, really hot versus sort of hot and yeah. what is pleasant music, one person, you know, that could be death metal for a 19 year old male. I don't know. It's that's the hardest part about sonic branding is that it is all perspective. I wrote an article about what does a black t-shirt sound like? And I spoke to some UX designer friends of mine about that. And we were talking about, well, it would be different if it was uh, made of cotton or corduroy, or what if it was a leather jacket? Like, I think all of us musically, you have different sounds like the corduroy would be a rougher sound, maybe jagged. Um, cotton would be maybe comfy and soft. Uh, velvet would be sleek and like, you know, mm. so you've got all of these descriptive words that could help you to define what that black t-shirt sounds like. Man, this is so much fun. Um, I <laughs> cannot wait to have you at the road rally. Go ahead and give us your, um, your website and how to sign up for your newsletter. Uh, yeah, you have the chat open? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Let me get my newsletter link on there too, real quick. Should have had that up, apologize. No biggie, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> All right, where did it go? Oh, computer slowed down, of course. Louis L. Martineau wants to know, could the sound of a particular animal, like a lion's roar or a cow's moo, um, or other animal be analogous to sonic branding? Um, yeah, MGM. Yeah, MGM, um, oh gosh, uh, it was a company that did use a cow's moo for years. Um, oh. Chick-fil-A? I know they well, use. Well, they have they have the mascot that's a cow. Right. Have you ever seen like the the larger than life cows in three D clinging to a billboard, like eat um, eat more chicken um, with chicken misspelled, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the cow is painting it on the billboard. That's such great marketing, such great advertising. medium up real quick almost there got all of these on quick 
then I'll just say what they are. Okay, so the first link is for the mailing list. Um, and as Michael said, I just basically monthly, I, I've only missed one month in like two years. I've been very good about this. Wow. Um, but monthly I send out, I know it's really hard, <laughs> um, but I send out like if there's new articles that I've posted, um, any like speaking engagements that I've done, new resources and highlights that I've been focusing on, um, if there's new companies that uh, I think people should be paying attention to, uh, always linking to like my sound and marketing learning site, which is the second link. And um, sound and marketing is basically everybody that's interested in learning a little bit more about sonic branding and sound and marketing. I, it's a resource page. So it's got my courses, my eBooks, the podcast, wow. um, the articles that I actually read every month and a little bit of a description of why I found them interesting. Um, I post that every month um, and then companies, which I need to update, but resource companies that people should be aware of if they like want to design things and all of that. Um, I'm not seeing the links then, popping up in the chat. You're in the taxi oh. TV chat. Yeah, well, it says live chat oh. next to me. Oh, uh, you know what? You probably sent them to the Wirecast live chat. Oh, Can you copy okay. them and email them to Liz at taxi.com and she'll yes, put them in the I chat? Okay. Yeah. So it'll be on after Are this you know, is all you know, Yeah. We can also put them in the comments underneath once in the archive version too. And don't forget okay. guys, when you go to the comments, I'd really, I think that would be a fun little challenge to say, I think so. I've got a challenge for you guys. I want you to create a Sonic logo for a diet milkshake brand or something. Mm -hmm. And, and you guys, uh, you know, many of you know each other already. Um, That's what I actually started to do um, when I first started exploring this actually on Pond5. I loaded Pond5 up with a ton of logos and just in my head I did, okay, this is for a tech company, this is for a food industry company, this is for a coffee company, and just as many as I could possibly come up with. And I've made a little bit of money for people that want something out of the box, a little jingle, a little Sonic logo. So it's, right. it's a good exercise, puts you in the mood, so yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome. We're way out of time. Uh, this is how much I loved having you on the show. We are seven minutes over and I rarely go, Oops. I usually go like one or two minutes over. So yes, um, Gina will email those to Liz at taxi.com. Uh, Liz will post them in the comments. Um, and I cannot wait to see you in person. This has been so much fun and hanging out with you for the first time I in know. years. Um, I know. And I, I look forward to meeting your husband. And um, what else can I tell you other than I'll talk to you next week. I had a water leak at the house, so we're getting rid of mold right now and, oh, no. and cutting into walls in like three or four different rooms looking for where the leaky pipe is. Oy. So, good. yeah, I'm not getting as much work done this week as I would like to, which is <laughs> kind of sucky because it's road rally season. Um, oh, but I will talk to you at the latest next week to work out uh, the details about your involvement with the rally. Thank Perfect. you so much, Gina Isham. You are a peach. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. This was so much fun and hi to all the people uh, that I haven't seen in a really long time. I hope you're all well. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Yeah, you get to a certain age, you hope they're all still alive. That's just my, <laughs> my age category. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Gina. See you soon. And thank you so much for doing this. That was great information. Adios. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thank you.